0: Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from
1: businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area.
0: Now, here's your host, George McCharko is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur. I'm joined here today with Mikey Hurd. Mikey is a longtime entrepreneur and good friend. I'm speaking to him about his journey as an entrepreneur. Welcome today.
1: Thanks. Uh, good to be here.
0: So uh, Mikey, we've known each other for what, like almost like 15 years or something like that?
1: At least 15 years, definitely.
0: You started a company around that same time called meetin.org. And I think that's really where you came most familiar because you were growing this, this website that you built. Let's go ahead and just start with the obvious and talk about Meetin and, and how you came up for the idea for that.
1: I basically was working in IT industry for 18 years, doing a lot of really cool, interesting things, uh, especially for GTF. Uh, we, I actually kind of built one of the first CMSs for GTF before they even had CMSs. And the company I worked before, I also built some interesting things. So it was kind of in some cutting-edge stuff. And uh, at the time, um, I didn't have like a lot of friends because I was new to D.C. And um, I uh, basically joined a couple different social groups. And I decided because I, I coded that I wanted to build my own my own website, and uh, well, the rest is history. We built the site, and uh, pretty much at one point had like close to 200,000 members. It got really big, and as you know, we had huge, huge parties. Uh, DC, we had like almost 5,000 members. Um, we, you know, we used to have happy hours with hundreds and hundreds of people every week. It was pretty crazy.
0: And so you built a lot of the back end of the site, right?
1: Pretty much, I built the whole site. Uh, no one else touched that code. It was just me because I was. You know, wanted to keep it secure and stuff like that. I might have had a couple people help me with some security issues we had over, over over the time, but pretty much that was me. So that was my baby.
0: And so, did you build this as part of a CMS originally?
1: No. So I wanted to keep my skills sharpened and in my work. I kind of wasn't doing as much advanced stuff, so that's kind of what got me started doing it. But also, I really wanted to just make something the way I wanted it to to be. I wanted to give it more functionality that uh, that you know we were using Yahoo Groups that didn't have a lot of functionality. and I just wanted to give it a lot more functionality. So I kind of borrowed little parts from. Here and there, in different sites, uh, we you know we looked at um, uh, what well, was Friendster and kind of things like that. You know, we looked at some uh, you know looked at some of those sites, and I said, well, what little parts of this do I like, and make to make the best site. This is before Facebook existed, and you know, still to this day, I haven't watched the Facebook movie because the guy stole you know he, he stole my my idea. <laughs>
0: So Mark Zuckerberg stole your idea.
1: I think so. If you look at the original Facebook, well, if you look at Facebook, the the light blue, if you remember, MeetIn had the light blue. So I'm convinced he saw our site like way before when he was building Facebook.
0: So that, that being aside, you actually started MeetIn as part of a Yahoo group, right?
1: Yeah. So it started off as a Yahoo group. Once again, the Yahoo didn't have much functionality. Um, so, so the, the site itself was more like a a real people on the ground doing things. You know, we had art events and we had baseball, you know, games and we, I mean, we did so many different events as you know, over my time at Meetin, I actually planned 2,500 events. Imagine that. So sometimes four events a week and people think that that I'm making that up. No, if you went to my profile, you'd see I actually did 2,500 events and that's not including like ones that weren't on the site. So it was quite a lot of events. I got burned out.
0: But you also had a lot of events just at your house too. So you were inviting almost strangers into your house for, for a certain period of this time, right?
1: Oh yeah, we, my biggest party had four hundred people. Halloween party, um, lots of small things, art. You know, I, I had a friend who did took photographs, and we would just make an art showing in my house. So we did lots and lots of cool little. We had a comedian night one night. we were just like ten of us decided we wanted to do stand up. I'm sure you remember that. And we all just did stand up, you know, in front of our friends. So it was just we did we did a lot of clever, cool like things. And I think that's what people really loved about me. And it was, you know, a lot of a lot of artistic things.
0: And, and it started off too with uh, the first Fridays in DuPont Circle, right? Which was based around going to different galleries.
1: Yeah, that was the core. Uh, the first Fridays going to the art, the art galleries and doing a happy hour. People love to drink and they love art. And that was the core. And uh, yeah, and it and it grew. I, I remember the first event had like four or five people. At the end, we had like 200 people. You know, we, we had camping trips to start with like the first camping trips were like five people. We, we moved to like 100 to 200 people with like a couple trucks of food. It, it was insane how fast it grew in D.C.
0: And so, one of the interesting things too is that you had a lot of volunteers helping plan the events, right?
1: Yeah, everything was volunteer. I built the website as volunteer. None of it was about profit. My whole concept was being like a Craigslist, where we just, um, we just, uh, you know, every, everything was kind of like giving back to the community and not making a profit off of it. So yeah, it was it was all volunteer.
0: And, and so the volunteers that plan these events, they they basically kind of formed what the the social group was
1: absolutely absolutely we had so many volunteers and we had volunteers in every city i mean we went to go visit amsterdam and we'd have 200 people show up at a happy hour and, and all these people that were planning the events there so every city we had 90 cities they all planned events and so it was kind of it was crazy because i traveled with uh, some friends to different cities it was just crazy to see how much it was growing in each city and it was it was it had a life of its own at that point we went to denver we went to austin Portland, Chicago had a blast in Chicago. I mean, I went to Sacramento and I had so much fun because when I went to Sacramento, I hung out with locals. They took me to the cool jazz bar. I mean, I went to the coolest bar I've ever been to. I think it was called Bar 11 in um in. in philly pittsburgh i mean who would know that it was the coolest bar i've ever been to and it's in pittsburgh it's like it has like a rain a rain night where it rains in the bar i mean it's so cool everyone comes in, in in rain jackets so we you know in amsterdam we went to all these crazy things so when you go to the local city you you get to kind of meet everybody and and see the city like like the local and the cool thing was it wasn't just me that could do it anybody could travel to different city i met many 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 people that traveled to different cities and got to hang out with the people of that city so
0: so one of the interesting things is that you your concept was actually different than Facebook because you had a real life component to it. It wasn't just virtual people identified by icons on a website, right? It was it was actually there was interactions, there was message boards, but there was real life events.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say Facebook wasn't even a comp- competitor of ours. I would say Meetup was kind of like a competitor, I guess. And it, it's funny because our names sound so familiar, similar. Um, but we, you know, I Meet in, Meetup I didn't even know about when when I created it. But yeah, it's, ours is all about local events and the website was just a component to help us organize those and still to this day there's really not a website that I think organizes as well as, as the tools we had in that site. Um but it takes a lot of effort from a lot of local people to make it work and, and I got burned out. And so, you know, as you know, as I was telling you earlier, I I've been out for like seven years now and people still do it and they run with it, but I'm I'm kind of retired from that.
0: <laughs> and and so before you even had any of this too, like you would mentioned that you had moved to the area, you were from San Francisco originally. And there was a lot of San Francisco expats that came and there was a group called SF and DC. Yeah.
1: So the original, yeah. So the original one I joined was SF and DC. Um, But the funny thing was, was most of the people weren't from SF and we, there were some, but like a lot of people were from like, I mean, Jamie was from Ohio, I think Ohio. And and she's like one of the coolest people at the time, you know, that, that, that I knew. Um, so there were like all these cool people that weren't from there. And that's when I was scratching my head. I was like, this doesn't make any sense to be like, you know, to just be SF from DC. So that's when I kind of spun off and did the, the, the meet in where it just was like anybody from wherever you're from for the same purpose, you know? Yeah.
0: So let's talk about your backstory in San Francisco and really how you became an entrepreneur. You, you mentioned to me earlier that, uh, you as a kid, you know, had kind of different businesses that you, you explored. Um, just talk to me about like where you first got kind of the bug.
1: Yeah. So Um, as every kid you want money Um, and I figured out real early if I came up with a business idea I could sell it to family members so the first one was I made cassette tapes with movies on them I would just voice the movies and I would sell them to family members Um, then I came up with the idea of a magazine company I, I, I I had about forty-five subscribers. My aunts, my uncles, and they'd all pay me a dollar a week, and I would send it out to each place. And I bought a camera, and I used to budget everything in little Excel sheets. I was fourteen years old, you know, and I had you know forty-five dollars coming in a week, and it was like a this is an amazing thing, you know. Um, then then I would go up. I, I bought my first. Uh, I had the first VCR in the family. Okay, like. 16 year old kid has the first VCR I paid $200 for I remember it was a gold star and I would have a movie in my room and I would sell popcorn and, and candy to my friends. I mean, I was insane. Uh, I, I sold candy in, in at the, at the uh, school, you know, in my backpack, you know, sodas, and everyone knew to come to me for sodas. I'm sure lots of kids do that. Um, and then I kind of moved up to working as a bus boy, which was great money. So had to, had to do that. That wasn't very entrepreneur, but it gave me money to do other things. So I bought like really good cameras. I bought a camera for $4,000 cause I wanted to be in movies. Uh, so, um, you know, and then, uh, got, then I started a lawn business, doing landscaping. Um, I mean, it, it goes, I, I would say I got, I started so many businesses. I did, a, I did a catalog business when I was 18, where I literally had my own drop ship catalog company called sunset catalog company. And I would drop the catalogs and people's doorsteps. And, and I think I got like five orders out of the whole entire business startup. <laughs> so as you know, a lot of entrepreneurism, uh, you, you start and uh, it doesn't really work. And that's the beauty of entrepreneurism. It's like when you start it, you learn to fail quick and move on the next thing. And I think if there's any lesson that anybody needs to know, you always hear this is like fail and, and it's okay to fail and just move on. And that's, that is the beauty of America is we're all ready to go out there and, and, and take a chance and do it. Where a lot of countries, um, I'll give you an example. I had a I, I sat in a in a um, in an in office with a guy from Japan for two years, uh, named Tomo. Great guy, um, and he worked for the Japanese railroad company. And uh, he he could have been the smartest guy in the world, but that's what you do in japan you work for a japanese once you get that job you don't switch so he could be the next bill gates but because that's his job he doesn't want to take any risk and because the culture is risk adverse you can see how a lot of entrepreneurism just doesn't happen in places like that where in america we are always taught as a very, you know very young kid the first thing you remember is if you fall off the horse get back on you know if you fall off the bike get back on and that is like the biggest lesson for entrepreneurism is you just got to keep trying keep trying until you find something that makes you money because that's ultimately why you why you do it you know or the love of it <laughs>
0: So, uh, can you just tell me about your attitude towards risk?
1: Um, I like risk, but I like calculated risk. Um, as I was telling you earlier, uh, some of my early exposure to it was like my mom, for example, would buy a ring for $5 at a flea market that somebody didn't know it was a diamond or a, it was gold. And then she would sell it for $300 because she knew what that ring was. She knew all about that business, you know? So I, I, I do like risk, but I like a calculated risk. Um, when I play the stock market greatly too, I, 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 I buy and sell a lot of stocks and I, I like to be very calculated in what I do to make sure that it, that it wins. I haven't really lost much at all. I I usually always win at that. And so I think it's very important to like, do your research, read that if there's anything an entrepreneur should do is they should read, read, read. I literally read about maybe 20 to 30 papers, sometimes daily, the Japan daily, uh, uh, China daily, excuse me, um, Japan, a Japanese one, I read a German paper a Russian paper. I mean, you name it, I read it. I read a couple of US papers. Um, you can't just know about what's going on in the US. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to know what's going on in the world because trends happen everywhere. It's a global world now. So
0: that's great advice for, for budding entrepreneurs out there. Um, so you've mentioned risk and you talked about your attitude towards it and how you like calculated risk. Do you tend to have like a short-term strategy or a long-term strategy when you create a business concept? Um,
1: it, it, really depends on the, the business concept. Um, if you're doing like a web, you know, something that's web related, I, I usually look for something that's going to actually make money soon because most web projects have to, um, if you get funding and stuff like that. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I was involved in a company called uh, TapDrive, Um, and I, I basically, that was, that was formed by, uh, five partners. Um, still really good friends with all those guys now, like Willie and Alan. And, uh, we, we just met every week. Uh, we didn't have an, uh, we didn't even have a project. We were just all, it was actually Alan came up with the idea. Hey, let's all meet every week. And we'll just come up with an entrepreneurial idea. And we met and we would like think about different concepts and talk it over. And eventually I came up with this idea like, like hell is heck let's build this hard drive and, um, we can, we can uh it was the idea was a hard drive that was read-only. This this is before anybody was really doing it. I think Google does something like this now, but it was a read-only drive. And the idea was to kind of keep make a drive that was unhackable, but you could plug this drive in your computer and you could boot it up and you know run a, a version of Linux that was our own version called Tab Drive. And we had like about two hundred thousand two hundred and fifty thousand funding. And as we started to roll it out and we started to get testing from different, you know, feedback from different people and to see how well the product worked. It was kind of, kind of evident to me. You know, there was there was definitely certain bells that kind of kicked off in my head, kind of early on, where I kind of was like, I don't know if this is going to kick off the way we're hoping it would, and it is key. Like you have to you have to see that something's not going to work and you have to be able to stop and move on and understand that it's just, it's just not going to work. There's, there's, there's something better you can put your energy into, you know, and that's just, that's just the, that's the, it's, it's kind of the unfortunate part of entrepreneurism because it's sad when you put a lot of effort into something and it doesn't work, but it's also the necessary thing. I mean, you just have to be able to know when to quit and when to move on and also not to put too much resources into it where you can, it can hurt you really badly in the long run. So, you know, that's key.
0: For this partnership, would you say that you, you were leading this this partnership? Or, or how did it kind of form? Um, I wouldn't say
1: I, 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 I led it all. Um, I'm, I'm more of an ideas guy where I come up with an idea. Um, I'll, I'm very good at coming up with an idea. I'm very bad at executing it. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, Median would be a good example. At one point, I had... In, I had a big financial company out of Boston and say, "Hey, we want to invest in your company, and we want to make this bigger." And and I'm sure Zuckerberg got the same you know notice from some bank or some person, and I'm sure he said, "Oh, let's do it and explore it." And me, I'm just like, "No, I want to keep it free, and I want to stay like Craigslist, where I want to be like humble and stuff." And that's just not showing true good leadership because maybe I could have turned it into something much bigger. Um, at, at real estate, I'm very good at executing because that's that's you know that's the other thing I'm I'm involved in today. Um, but it's, but I think there's like more control over, over what you do in real estate where like when you're starting a company, there's just, there's a lot of loss of control. You're, you're putting a lot of risks out there and you're really relying on maybe partnerships and funding and lots of things that, you know, have to come through. And I'm not, I'm not the greatest at that. I'll I'll admit that.
0: (laughs) And so you mentioned there was $250,000 in funding. Where did the funding come from?
1: Um, so they got investors. Um, uh, I know Alan was one of the investors and, uh, they had got some other investors from other places. Um, and you know, it's, and then even puts more pressure on you when you start getting the funding, you want to come through for the investors. And so that it was, it was a tough, it was a tough business. It was a tough business cause it didn't work. Um, you know, so like anything entrepreneurism, if it doesn't work, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of
0: sad. <laughs> so you got to the kind of the proof of concept phase, but didn't get a, a chance to actually build it.
1: Well, no, we made, we made products and we had tons of them. Um, we, we had a commercial that we made uh, a couple ads, um, I think the hardest part about what the tab, what Tab drive ran into was trying to explain to the consumer what it was and why they needed it. Um, I think when it comes to security, a lot of people don't really care about it until they're actually attacked by a virus or they actually lose their computer. I think a lot of people just put that in the back end. even big companies like Microsoft that actually sell, you know, put security on your computer. A lot of people don't mess with it or, or think about it. You know, um, it's, it's just really tough. That was one aspect of it. The other aspect was, um, people were starting to move away from their computers and moving to their phones. And uh, this was more of a computer device. So I think that was the, the other aspect that kind of made it not really work.
0: So I don't know if this is after this or before this, but you had a company called Event Monsters. Wanna to talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, so that was right after that. And um, I thought that was a great idea. Um, I still think it, 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 it's a good idea. Um, so the idea was uh, me me and another partner got together and um, we formed a company. And uh, basically the idea was to build a website that would basically go out and data mine all of the events going on in the world and so the idea was if you went to D.C. you could see every event happening in D.C. and not just like what's happening in Craigslist or what's happening in the local church but you could just see everything. The ball the ball games, the concerts um, all the way to a bakery a bake sale at a church or a school. Um, we, we, we ciphered all those events and we pulled many many events from all over the world and it was actually a beautiful website and we had lots and lots of events even in Spain we had events but the problem was um, some people started complaining that we were pulling events that they wanted and so the conception we thought okay well everybody wants their events seen so we pulled events out everyone everyone would love this promotion and we thought that was like a great idea but then we might pull from say some newspaper in Spain and that newspaper would say oh wait No, these are our events and we don't want anybody, you know, we want to have ownership of our events uh, So because we just had a machine that was going out and grabbing them all We got some complaints and stuff like that and they were they were kind of minor But they were enough to for Google to kind of like like slow us down by not saying as much traffic to us And that goes back to the point of Google kind of controlling the world, you know So once you fall out of favor with Google, it's kind of hard to to get a web business going off the ground, you know um, so we need, we need to have a good connection with Google at that point to make anything go further. <laughs>
0: so we touched on this earlier, but we haven't actually explored it in depth. So just walk me through how you created your real estate investment business.
1: So, yeah, so I grew up very, very poor on a farm. I mean, really poor. No running water, no electricity. I mean, it's like, you know, most people say, hey, you grew up in America? Yes, I grew up in America. Um, a little farm out in California. And uh, and then the second part of my life, I grew up in the city, which was the inner city, uh, where I was um, very different from all the other kids, got in fights every day. Uh, it was it was a pretty rough, uh, rough environment. So between those two environments, uh, it, it taught me a lot. Growing up on the farm, it taught me how to work, really good work ethic. And growing up in the city, it taught me how to schmooze and talk to people, and really, um, uh, you know, get things done. It really does. It, 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 when you grew up in a bad neighborhood, you, you learn how to negotiate with people all the time. You know, sometimes to survive. I'm not joking. <laughs> so, uh, so when you're so real estate is a lot like that. It's 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 cutthroat. Uh, so sometimes you want to get in there and get the good deal. Um, sometimes you have to be very blunt. Like I'll pay this price. You have to also know when to walk away. I mean, real estate it's very important to know. You know, not, never get your heart set on a certain property. There's always going to be another one. So you, there's lots of little tricks about real estate that that those. Two things in my background uh, really helped prepare me for that. Um, how I got into real estate is kind of a funny story. My dad bought those tapes how to get how to make a million dollars in real estate, and uh, he handed them to me and uh, said, oh, i don't wanna I don't wanna to listen to, him. so I started listening at work, and um I didn't go to college, and I knew I had to work extra hard in my life to make you know make myself successful and i and I always liked real estate because, I remember when my dad was, was behind on rent three months. I think this is the biggest impact I can remember. Uh, the landlord was actually super nice and like allowed that, but I always remember the power of the landlord, you know, like when you're behind that three months, like you really got to get that money and stuff like that. So I always knew real estate was just something everybody needed. So I had that in my head very young that I wanted to be in that market. And I bought my first house when I was making 14,000 a year. Um, I bought my first condo when I was 23, making 14,000 a year. And uh, anybody that says, oh, I can't buy a house. I, I, I could do a whole, I could do a whole podcast on like how you can buy houses and just half of its confidence, just, just knowing you can do it. And there's no roadblocks. Uh, you just have to do it, you know? And a lot of people think they can't do because of the, the price or the down payment. There's like programs out there, those things you can use. Um, I would, I would tell anybody that wants to buy a house buy your first house, but, but don't stop there. Uh, by the time I bought one a year, when of uh, 23, 24, 25, 26 by 26, I think I had like four houses, you know? So I just kept buying them. Um, it, it works. I mean, so real estate, the name of the game is taxes. Uh, real estate is, is a tax game. There's a reason why, uh, our, our uh, I won't say his name, our president, uh, <laughs> um, doesn't probably doesn't pay taxes if, if his taxes were ever shown, because if you, you know, if you buy real estate, you can depreciate the property. That's the, that's the biggest unknown tax advantage that real estate has that a lot of people don't get. So the second you, I'll just give you an example. The second, you rent a, a property out the second you rent it. So say you buy a house for $300,000, you're going to have about a $10,000 a year depreciation against your taxes. So that means if you're making $40,000 a year in your job, well, now you're only making $30,000 a year in your job because you're getting a $10,000 depreciation off your job right off the bat. So even when I was in a very low income bracket, I got a lot of the taxes back because of that. And so that's very important that to, to, to remember it's tax, tax, taxes. The, the real estate is more about taxes, I think, than it is about anything else, because it, it's it's about it's making money is it's more about how you keep the money, you know, not always just uh, how you make it, because taxes can kill you.
0: And and you could actually argue that the tax code is written in favor of all business entities.
1: It is, but there's a reason for it. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, for myself, I, I invest quite a lot of money in fixing the places up, right? So. We're like the ants of society we we go out there and uh you know one year i could spend fifty thousand dollars and that could be hiring people to fix up houses and home depot i mean i could spend thousands of thousands of dollars at home depot so it does create a lot of jobs and we're not just creating jobs but we're creating uh we're creating a place for people to live so being on this side of of, of the um uh, you know as a small landlord i can tell you it's it's sometimes that's not easy you 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 want to you know make something affordable i don't want to like you know, gouge my, my clients and I want to give something that's reasonable for them. So it all kind of goes to the bottom line of you know, you employ a lot of people and you and you also create a very vital thing to society. So you can look at it like uh, like farming, right? Like farmers get tax subsidy from the federal government to make sure there's a stable uh supply of food, right? Well real estate's kind of similar, right? You're getting these, these tax advantages because who's gonna to want to invest in a property if there's you know if you I mean literally who would want to invest in property if you can't get a tax advantage. I mean why would I spend fifty thousand dollars fixing up houses if if I have to if I don't you know if I have to pay taxes and all that too you just wouldn't do it right you put somewhere else like the stock market or something like that every single property you have you pay you know you're paying for the school system whether you're living in that neighborhood or not so all the properties i have absolutely I, I you know taxes go towards the school system so you do pay a lot of taxes too um it's just it's just there's some nice advantages against your income your, your personal property uh, your personal income that, that helps you a lot but you do pay a lot of taxes yeah especially especially property taxes like
0: so let's talk about financing have you bootstrapped everything
1: yeah, um, most most things I've started, I've I've loved starting them on, on shoestring budgets. Um, tap drive was not that was that was actually had some had some pretty good funding. Um, but you know, most things, are, most of them are, a lot of the big things are like web, right? And web is you just build it. So if you know how to build it, you build it. People come. Um, real estate is a whole other story. Obviously you, you have to get capital for that, but it starts with down payments. And then as you build up your equity and you sell properties, you, you get equity to buy more places. So, um, it, it, real estate itself is very, is very, it's very capital intensive, but it, you also own places. So as they go up, you can sell them and, and, and switch them out for other places. Um, but web is easy, right? I mean, most, most web companies, uh, I'm, I'm sure people did them for a very small amount of money because it's just, if you have the knowledge, you just build it, you know, at the, at the beginning part, you know.
0: I'd argue that's probably still the same way too whenever it comes to like apps and uh, I don't know, building kind of like really small scale web startups.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you can come up with a good idea for an app, you could build that in your basement. Next thing you know, you're, you are you got out the door and you're making tons of money if it's the right thing. You know?
0: Yeah. One of the things that's really been surprising to me is just kind of the explosion of like these e-commerce sites where, you know, people sell nothing but soap online and they have a subscription box, you know, subscription boxes are huge.
1: Yeah yeah i mean you think about that, that uh that um one company that was selling the diapers and they got so big that ebay uh, or amazon was forced to buy them um right or you know it's 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 that same idea right you figure out a better way to just sell dog food or sell soap or something you know if you can figure out the way to do that more efficiently than the big guys then, you know it, it's it's a hard competition though right because you know like think about those guys that made the soap right um they took like something that everybody makes and is commoditized and they kind of made a nicer design and they made it like little nicer and then they're selling soap for a higher price
0: yeah i had a guest on that he he had a candle business and he was running out of his apartment in crystal city um and basically just makes the candles there packages them does everything there and then ships them out from like a a website
1: that's incredible especially if you can do that efficiently to compete against like other countries that can do so cheap that's because it's a labor intensive business right so well
0: let's do this instead what advice would you give to entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs out there
1: if you come up with a good idea, believe in yourself and do it. Um, like I was saying about my friend from the railroad company, who's probably a brilliant guy working in Japan. He could have the best idea, but if he doesn't do it, then you have nothing, right? So you got to go out there and just do it and don't worry about fail. I would say, don't be afraid to fail. You know, fail, not only don't be afraid to fail, but fail as many times as you want. Fail, fail, fail. It's okay. Just You can keep moving on and, and do it again. And I probably failed in 20 different businesses before I found the thing that you know makes me money. Just go out there and use your mind, expand it and fill it up and just keep filling it up. And the more you want to fill up your mind, the more you're going to just, you come up with ideas. I mean, ideas come from just life experiences. So when you find something that you think you can do better, just do it. That's the way the best business started, right? It's like something that you love and you have a passion for is the best way to, I mean, all my projects I had passions for. Um, so whether they, they work or they don't work, have that passion for it. Because if you have the passion for it, you'll, you'll, you'll feel good about the whole process.
0: That's Mikey Heard. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. We'll catch you next time here on DC Entrepreneur. Visit the show at dcentrepreneur.com and follow us on social media at facebook.com forward slash biz podcast. Please tune into our next episode and thanks for listening. This is George. If you're a podcast enthusiast like I am, you've probably thought about starting your own. I can tell you from my experience that starting a podcast is one of the greatest decisions I've made in my career. Not only do you get to connect and speak with cool people who have awesome stories to share, you get to position yourself with expertise in a certain area. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can hire me to help guide you through the process. Just go to dcentrepreneur.com forward slash consulting. And if you already have a show out there or have recorded a few episodes and are looking for a place to host and distribute your content, I can tell you that I'm a huge fan of using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories. To sign up for Buzzsprout's paid plan, Follow the link in the show notes and you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. This lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you and helps support production costs for the show. Buzzsprout is the easiest way to start a podcast.